Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four, and we welcome back to the show Nate Wilmot. Nate provides all those great articles with statistical analysis on the ForTheBloggy.com website. As always, great to have you on the show, Nate. Hey, Jim. Great to be back. Thanks for having me again. Well, I'll tell you what. Your most recent article is just coming out this week, and uh, Bill sent me ahead a, a version of the article, so I got a chance to read up on it. Now, there's always been a lot of analysis on teams' performance within the red zone. In fact, I think you and I have talked about it quite a bit. But in this article, you're talking about scoring from beyond the red zone, right? Yeah, and, you know, we're looking for a methodology that we can use to, to determine explosivity, right? And something that's quite simple, I think, is touchdowns scored outside of the red zone. So, yeah, as you mentioned, we, we often talk about how efficient teams are when they get in the red zone. And I think that's important, obviously, as well, because you don't want to squander those opportunities. And even, you know, kicking field goals instead of touchdowns oftentimes is somewhat of a squanderance of an opportunity. But here we want to look at beyond the red zone, both offensively and defensively. Uh, we'll start with the offense and how how frequently teams score touchdowns specifically from outside of the red zone. So beyond 20 yards is is a measure of how explosive those teams can be. First of all, you have an acronym for this, T-O-R-Z, Touchdowns Outside the Red Zone. Before I say it wrong, do you, have you coined a new word here? Is that tours? I, I guess, yeah, I guess. And whether or not it's coined, I don't know. I did see either during the AFC Championship game or the Super Bowl was the first time I've seen this outside of like when I wrote it. But um, they mentioned touchdowns scored outside of the red zone for the Bengals, I think. But otherwise, you know, it's not something that you see that frequently. So well, let's go with Tours, and let's go with Tours TM, uh, Nate Wilmot. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll keep giving you credit for it whenever <laughs> I use it. But well, let's talk about Tours, and just how much can you correlate points scored overall with how many are scored outside the red zone? Yep. So if we start there, we, we do see that um, there's a reasonable correlation between touchdowns scored outside of the red zone uh, and points per game. So, you know, you might expect this, right? This might be very obvious, but um, teams who teams who score well outside of the red zone tend to score more points, right? And I think, you know, there, as we've seen in the past, there's a limited number of red zone opportunities you have. So to get really high numbers of scoring has to come from somewhere else besides uh, just red zone opportunities. So uh, when we look at this, we see that um, it's got, a, a, again, a rel- relatively good correlation. If we take that to, if we also look at points inside the red zone, correlated to points, that's even better. Um, but then when we look at points outside of the red zone, correlated to points inside the red zone, there is no, there is no correlation. So teams often are either really good inside the red zone, really good outside of the red zone, but infrequently are both. And this, I think, speaks to offensive philosophy in some cases, right? Some are going to be more grind it out and try to, you know, work the ball down the field, get into the red zone and score from there. Others are going to take more chances. Uh, and that's what you'll see in the article and some of the graphs that we have. What is the typical number of red, red uh, outside the red zone points to score? And 
how many points do you need to score outside the red zone to be considered good at it or even elite at it? So, and again, we're going to count just touchdowns scored outside of the red zone. So, you know, teams who score uh, a touchdown, we're going to give them seven points because a, a team can also, you know, be kicking field goals from the 20 or 30 yard line. And that ought to count differently because that is obviously less explosive. Yeah, I think, but an average team scores, uh, between six and 12 touchdown points outside of the red zone. So that's one to two touchdowns per game. Uh, very, you know, that one and a half range is is, de- is dead center mid-average, give or take. Uh, over the last 12 or so years of college football, the, the average has been between 8.3 and 10.2 touchdowns outside of the red zone, touchdown points outside of the end zone, or red zone, sorry. Um, elite. Elite Elite is only a handful of teams, and they would score 20 uh, points, touchdown points outside of the red zone. Uh, we're counting good as anything 12 or greater. So average is 6 to 12. Uh, 12 or greater is good. 16 or greater is, you know, quote-unquote great, and then 20 or greater is elite. So once you're up in that 16-plus range, you're really in thin air. And, you know, that's you know that's somewhere in the range of two-and-a-half touchdowns from outside of the red zone per game. So it's very, very good. Well, let's talk about Penn State specifically. How have they performed yep. beyond the red zone score? And we know that James Franklin always talks about winning the explosive play battle. So you would think this is something he would be good at because he emphasizes it so much. Yeah, and you know, I think if if you if I gave you options of 2009 to 2021 uh, and how the Penn State teams have performed you could pick out the two best ones. And it's very clearly uh, the 2016 and 2017 teams that uh, averaged uh, 14.5 and 14 uh, point touchdown points outside of the red zone per game. So they reached that good status. Um, since then, 2018 through 2021 has been in the kind of average ballpark ranging between 7.5 and 11.7. Uh, pre-2016, they were, you know, then averaging on fair or poor. Uh, and then the kind of, uh, 2009 or 2010 to 2012 were, were even lower, not exceeding 7.6 uh, per game um, over that span. So, you know, the best teams were the McSorley, Saquon, you know, Chris Godwin kind of top tier offenses. And then, you know, it's, it's gone a little bit back to center since then. Um, but we'll see what happens this year. Yeah. Your such as teams should be better at this. And, you know, you mentioned the players that were on those teams, but that was also Joe Moorhead coach teams, yep. right? And yep. he that was part of his philosophy was the big play. Yep, exactly. And, and you know, again, Kurt Soraka uh, gets a little bit of flack, right? And people undervalue, I think, the offense that we had during 2020. Uh, but even his teams were 11.7. So they were, you know, or that team was 11.7, which is comparable to the Ricky Ronnie uh, 2019 team. But yeah, Moorhead's group was the best far and away groups, I guess. You also had a chart that showed the handful of teams that were elite. How at touchdowns outside the red zone, how did they perform overall? Or at least how did their offenses perform overall? Yep. So. The best teams, uh, the best, the most elite team, uh, I guess, over the span of 2019 to 2021 is Baylor. They had four great or elite perform, or I'm sorry, five great or elite performances. Um, their elite teams averaged 48.1 points a game, which is pretty fantastic. 
Um, Oklahoma had one elite performance that averaged 48.4 points per game. And then let's see, um, there were, there were a handful of others, each averaging at least 42 points per game. So like when a team, when a team is in that elite company of, again, greater than 20, uh, touchdown outside touchdown points outside of the red zone they are averaging 42 plus points per game at least right and that's i, I don't know there, there is no metric by which you would say that they are not an explosive strong offense and you know if we look at if we look at just kind of the programs that have been either great or elite over the time uh it's baylor ohio state alabama oregon oklahoma western kentucky uh, U, uh ucf memphis etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's all teams that you would think have or have had at least great offenses over the last decade plus. Well, I'll tell you what, Nate. Uh, we are doing a series on our show. In fact, prior to this co- segment, uh, we've been following Penn State through the decades, 60s, yep. 70s, 80s, 90s, and today we did the 90s, and we talked about Penn State's 1994 team, yep. which some think may have been the best offense in all of college football history. One of these days, I want you to check them out. Okay, we can do it, yeah. (laughs) See how they did with touchdowns outside the red zone. What this all leads to, though, Nate, is what kind of conclusions can we make? You know, my first question is, we're dealing with correlation versus causation here. So is it you you do better scoring from beyond the red zone you'll score more points and win more games or is it just and be a good team or is it that good teams just happen to be able to score more often from outside the red zone right so so i think like we said in the beginning there's there's multiple ways to win right i mean you can be just to score a lot of points you can either do it or teams often either do it from having very strong outside of the red zone performance or very strong inside of the red zone performance and both can be successful how this translates to wins we'll see because i, I think as i've we've discussed before um, you know, just one, you can't isolate one unit and necessarily just choose where understand a team's winning percentage. Right. And you do have to look at the other side of the ball as well. Uh, and if you go back to some of these schools that I mentioned before, you know, Baylor was fairly successful in the mid 2010s, but maybe their defense wasn't as good or Oklahoma, right. Maybe didn't have such a strong defense. So we're next time we're going to look at how the defensive performance of keeping teams from having explosive plays matters. And I think, you know, putting these two things together is really where we can start to look at, you know, a team's discipline leading to things like winning percentage and stuff, but isolating just one unit. I have always, I always find it both challenging. In you had a chart in your article showing the big 10. And I don't think it's any surprise that Ohio state is at the top of this list. So you have an example of, an explosive team they can score from anywhere and they can score from outside the red zone but there were a couple uh perhaps outliers in this correlation where maryland was higher than you might expect based on win-loss record and i thought michigan and wisconsin they were lower than you might expect based on one loss record but not based on how they play the game Sure. Is there anything yep. we can learn? No, from I think that? that's yeah. I think that's completely fair, right? And, and yeah, th- this kind of comes back to both points that we were making before. So, for in Maryland's case, yes, their offense has been maybe more explosive than you would think based on win loss record, but their defense has been generally pretty poor. 
Wisconsin and Michigan, right, uh, often better win-loss records than you would expect just from isolating explosivity, but then Wisconsin grinds the ball out for 38 or whatever minutes per game, right, and tends to have a very, very strong defense, uh, but not really being a, a, an explosive offense. Same thing with Michigan. So so this that chart does kind of point to, you know, the, the multivariate analysis that you have to do here to really understand wins and losses, and it's not just isolating, you know, explosivity or – um, ball control or offense or defense, right? It's all of these things combined that really make good or bad teams. Well, it gives us a lot to think about. And if you start to do this, trying to find the correlation or even the causality of this, you've got to look into other things. If Wisconsin is ball control, they're also going to limit the number of possessions, which will limit yep. the number of yep. opportunities exactly. for these touchdowns outside the red zone. Just some more uh, things for you to think about on the next article, Nate. Cool. But yeah, unfortunately, thanks. we are out of time today. That has to be it for the show. Thanks for being on with us, Nate, and thank you all for listening. Be sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Fellow Nittany Lions, this is Bill Oldsey, one of your alumni-elected trustees. It's been an honor serving you in our world-class university for the past nine years. Today, I'm asking for your votes again for me, Barbara Duran, and Ted Brown for re-election to the Penn State Board. We look forward to continuing our work with you as we take Penn State to even greater levels of success with honor, both academically and athletically. We are Oldsey, Duran, and Brown. Thank you for your continued support. Request your ballot at trustees.psu.edu. This is Jim Galante from the Keystone Sports Network, letting you know there's nothing like going on the road with your favorite team. I'm pleased to announce that KSN, along with Collegiate Athletic Travel, the leaders in athletic travel for 50 years, is offering a trip to Auburn this fall for the Nittany Lions versus the Tigers. Charter flight, accommodations at the team hotel, and transport to and from the game are included. Go to athletictravel.com or call 800-788-4414 for all the information.